Welcome to the Week in IndyCar, your listener Q&A show here in the Marshall Pro Podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. It is about 7.15 p.m. on a Monday, May 2nd, beautiful evening here in Northern California. I have no idea why I'm still awake, y'all. This is not a complaint, it's just sharing of information. While in good old Leeds, Alabama, I woke up Sunday morning at about 4, maybe 4.15 in the morning, so 4.15 central time, which I guess would have been about 2 to 2.15 a.m. my body clock here in the Pacific, uh, West Coast Pacific time, and more or less couldn't get back to bed. So for reasons fully unknown, I was up stupid early Sunday morning, figured I was going to be lights out the minute uh, they closed the door in the good old aeroplane flying back. Didn't happen. Didn't sleep a wink. Decided to start watching something I've had saved on my little iPad for a long time. Russian doll from uh, Netflix season one, but uh, watched a number of those episodes and our connection through Denver. I figured, okay, well, I've got a two hour layover here. I, maybe I can nod off in the corner or something. Not only did that not happen, they added about two more hours to that. And long story short, I think I opened the door at about one thirty AM. And after going straight to the guest bathroom, AKA my bathroom, uh, doing a rapid COVID test negative, thankfully, and showering and all those things, I think I fell into bed around 2.30 in the morning. So right around being up for about 24 hours. I have no idea why. Didn't sleep on the flight from Denver to San Jose either. So I should share all this because I'm a little cracked out, a little cracked out more than usual. Uh, To help me with my crackiness, uh, I am going to crack open... A can sent to me by the del- some of the delightful members of the Prude listener group. Uh, that's right. All the love is going to Jack Harvey, a.k.a. the IndyCar Bean Flicker, because I am indeed consuming my very first Odd Side Bean Flicker beer, a coffee blonde ale. And uh, y'all at the Prude were kind enough to send this a little while ago. And uh, uh, let me just see if this is going to help keep me going because uh, i saw the word coffee on the side i'm like well hey it's beer and it's coffee and i'm not really an ale person but maybe this will do it that's a mighty fine little beer in a can a bean flicker jack harvey so proud of you and i'm not even giggling like an idiot because of the double entendre here but anyways got home from barber <sighs> written a fair amount today had a really fun hashtag racing family show that i'll put up here shortly on the podcast did that with our man race winner pato award been uh just a a stellar guy uh been on the show countless times over the years Uh, joined in for the first time on the hashtag racing family show we do on twitter spaces on mondays at five east geez five pacific eight eastern and that was a blast also had our pal miles Rowe winner of the first race there, USF 2000 race of the weekend, and your championship leader in USF 2000. 
and you might have just heard rocky meowing cats have been happy to see me but acting out so just everything's normal crazy just normal in our house nonetheless happy to be back things are rolling already i have so much stuff to try and write and little videos to do and podcasts and whatnot before i hop on a plane in a little over a week and a half fly to indy then as the current plan is i'll be there for like a long time uh in theory until it's over so lot to do this is going to be my first indy 500 this isn't meant to take the show down or be sad just again sharing information this will be my first indy 500 covering my first indy solo without my man robin miller there so means that there is really and truly a lot of work to do ahead of time and while we were there but going to try and have some prue day related fun some cooper tires related fun on the cooper tires stage uh, try and do at least one live show probably during the uh, gmr grand prix weekend i don't know if that's going to be a, a racing family show with chris wheeler and i hosting that or just a normal one with myself on the stage but need to get that going going to try and do some form of the worst racing movie ever made driven do some sort of watch party maybe from colton Herta's bus or i don't know where but going to try and do that with y'all so some other little fun things going to try and get done during my uh, 18 days there in Indy. So assuming I get all of those lined up, I'll let you know about them. So why don't I just tell you that we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of great questions from you. Greatly appreciate you and the time you take to send these in and the weekly interaction that we have. Last little note before we get rolling. Need to remember to do this far more often. If you do want to join a racing family not just the podcast we do on Mondays and occasionally a little later in the week too, but one that is active and daily and growing. It's the uh, listener group that is built up around the show, but become great friends and do great things together called the Prue Day. And so there's an email address if you want to join in and make some new racing friends and chat and mostly, I think, by text, uh, Discord or some other capacity, Twitter maybe as well, if that's still going, but just communicate, have a, a fun group chat with like-minded racers of all ages, ethnicities, beliefs, genders, everything. Prudayrocks uh, at gmail.com. That's the email address to send to say, hey, uh, I'd like to join. What's going on here? P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. One of the uh, fine men or women who... Some of the leaders of that group will get back to you in a couple of days, and I'm not part of it. I'm not meant to be. This is for y'all, but uh, it's a bunch of great folks, a lot of you who have uh, come to know um, somewhat well, someone even better, uh, someone, some of y'all very close, and appreciate y'all. So, all right, I'm going to hit the little uh, button here, which will tell me in post-production to add in the music bed. Let's get rolling with your questions been doing these shows about an hour in length and i am loving that we could probably go longer with some of the stuff coming out of barber but i'm gonna do my best here with my cats my wife who just made a little bit of uh, dinner for uh hopefully enjoying themselves and not so much on the show except for my wife she's always welcome to join and this uh bean flicker coffee blonde ale who do we go to first caleb whistler who says seems that pato award is back to normal 
and you're using quotes for those uh back to normal after this weekend in barber says with reports of his contract with air mclaren sp being complete how much did the ancillary off track activities like the contract play and such how much of that might have played into his on track performance and mental state being somewhat on the decline the beginning of the season i'd say significantly caleb i'm trying to think of support structures and pato has been since he was early teens he's been someone who's either spent a lot of time with his sister um dad slash parents moved around a bit right grew up a lot in and around san antonio with his sister going to uh, university and such uh, back and forth a lot his racing career moving him around a lot i just share that because i think he has had to lean on himself be his own best counsel in whatever situation not saying there haven't been many folks uh, who haven't influenced him and, and shaped him and provided wisdom and whatnot but just say that compared to some young drivers and he's what 22 21 22 he's still a pup there's a lot of life there's a lot of growth to be done by him there's a lot of things that he just hasn't lived to give you some of that deep wisdom and you look at some other drivers and you could say well there's some similarities maybe you look at someone like a colton herta Right, and you go, well, he is someone, yes, he has been dispatched to Europe on his own uh, to go racing, entrusted to some good friends there who looked after him. But for the most part, this kid has been wrapped in family, wrapped in everything since he was a baby. And so I think there just might be a slight difference here, Caleb, in. Colton always having his dad there or mom, dad, mom, brother, dog, you name it. Um, always being surrounded and somewhat covered in advice, in parenting, in wisdom. So he is a very sharp, very mature uh, 21-year-old, 22-year-old, someone in his very early 20s. I would just say that from his life, circumstances i'm not talking money or anything like that but just the fact that he's been able to have family around him at all times except for the brief journey over to europe i think that speaks to his ability to process some of these harder tasks uh, things that could be more challenging of your spirit a little more confusing things that could draw your attention away i think he's just had the ability to process these things, have a little bit more coaching up and armament from family so that when faced with some of these things, uh, they have less of a disruption on him. Because trust me, he's had contract negotiations. He's had all kinds of things happen, dramas, team not having enough funding and, and season possibly coming to an end. And what's going to happen with my career I know Pato's dad has been there for him, every, you know, hardcore, sister hardcore. Haven't heard so much about his mom, and I'm not saying that in a, in a negative. I just haven't heard about that from him. But 
just I think this is where we should put this. Okay, it's been a little bit more of a, a learning and growing experience for him going through some of these tough things, his attention being pulled in many directions, his desires to get to F1, that carrot being dangled by McLaren, it seemingly being pulled away, some of the contractual stuff. There's a question here next from J.J. Gertler that gets a little bit deeper into it, Caleb, so I'm kind of leaving some of that stuff out. But without a doubt, I think Pato has had to go through this struggle, learn a lot on his own, and have family provide some input. But I think he is, is more of a individual uh, style-wise, personality-wise. He, he suffers from, and I don't mean suffer in the true word, uh, I'm saying this in a, in a playful manner, but he suffers from that irrational self-confidence that all great athletes have. And when things aren't going super smooth for him, on track, off track, it's confusing. It throws you off. It doesn't reconcile with how things have normally gone and how you expect them to go. So I think this has just been part of his his personal development, which has then also benefited his professional development because here we are in a better place with uh, his future contractually, pay-wise, uh, just security in general. Uh, he's come out of this a smarter and sharper individual, and I think that's pretty darn awesome for him. Uh, why don't we go to J.J. Gertler, as I mentioned. You said, Pato's comment after the race about the, quote, war within Air McLaren SP makes me ask, do we know what the war was about? Um, are there people on the team who think Pato should not be there, or is it something else? With him apparently about to re-up with the team, do we know if the war is over? Were there prisoners? Will Steven Spielberg make a movie about it? Yes, Tom Hanks has just signed on to play. Um, Saving Private Pato, going to be a blockbuster. So, let's see. As I enjoy more of <laughs> more bean flicking. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, this podcast, number one bean flicking enjoyment uh, of all motor racing podcasts. Oh, boy. As I understand things, uh, this situation, I guess, might be nearly identical as it has been described to me from what I've read very recently about my hometown, home area, San Francisco 49ers NFL team, where they have a amazing star player running back slash wide receiver, Debo Samuels. And Debo is playing on his rookie contract, first one he signed coming out of college. He would be entering into the upcoming season in the final year of that rookie contract. He has established himself as basically the best player on the team. And yet, because he is still on his rookie contract, he is being paid a paltry sum compared to veterans who've gone on and signed a second contract or third that does indeed pay them uh, their worth and the value that other top players in their position receive. Uh, Mr. Samuels, who I really hope does not leave the 49ers, has said, trade me. I want to get the F out of here because we are unable to come to 
uh, a happy place for me with a new contract that pays me what I'm worth today, not what I am worth uh, when it's time for you to give me a new contract. I'm already worth that today. I want to do a new contract, multi-year contract that gets me my value as it stands this moment. And the team so far has not been willing to accommodate him. I would say from what I understand of the Pato situation, it is identical. I have no idea how much he is getting paid. What that contract was, the multi-year contract coming into Air McLaren SP. But the, the things that I've heard have been along these exact same lines, JJ. Whatever the number was, it wasn't giant. And certainly, I would not have given him a giant amount of money coming in because although he showed immense capabilities in the limited outings that he got to do uh, with the, uh, well, granted, he did the one race with the Harding Racing Team, um, but then more, I would say, the Carlin Racing side getting drafted in there for a partial season, showing well, but the team, again, maybe not fully ready to uh, make him uh, look like an absolute star. He's a kid who had lost some traction, had some interest from Red Bull and F1, did some Super Formula, some F2. None of the stuff went amazingly because, again, no practice, no testing, no anything, basically. Someone who clearly had talent but had yet to put up the numbers to show a team and IndyCar to say, oh, well, we should pay you a ton of money from the outset. So as I understand things, it's 100% the Debo Samuel situation. I am outperforming my, quote, rookie contract, my multi-year rookie contract, and would welcome staying beyond the length of my contract. Come up with a new one, an extension, a something, but let's get off this rookie compensation thing. Let's get this more commensurate with where I fit in the paddock. And that was someone who fought for the championship last year, won you two races, and ended up you know, finishing uh, second or third, uh, being second or third in the standings first a couple times as the, uh, the season went on. And then, unfortunately for the spear thrown by Ed Jones, was taken out of any hope of a title last season at the season finale, but pay me as that guy, not the rookie. And so as I understand it, JJ, um, those wishes were not necessarily heeded or given the weight and value that uh, was believed they should have been. And so the reaction to that was, I think what we saw publicly, Hey, all right, well, if y'all don't think I'm worth much, let me go find someone who does. And I don't think it took too long, especially for a team that is extremely vain and extremely mindful of public opinion, public appearances. I think Pato being vocal in his displeasure and not being totally dead silent on the fact that he's talking to others. Those are not the kinds of things that a Aero McLaren SP in particular, the McLaren racing side, JJ would be down to let continue. And since Zach made it fairly clear, he was not interested in letting him go 
Uh, you either hold on to someone like the 49ers might try and do with Debo Samuel and not take care of him and have someone who is completely disinterested in playing for you and whose performances will reflect that, or you do what is in the best interest of the organization. Once again, please do that 49ers. And you say, you know what? Uh, we shouldn't do this because you signed a contract and we believe you should honor that just as you believe we should honor what we told you we'd do for you. But you're right. And if we're going to pay this to you a year from now, if it makes things better and easier for us to pay this to you today and extend your contract with us, that might actually end up being the best thing for everybody. So that's what we're going to do. That's what I understand was at play. Um, no real motivation to improve that rookie contract. The player saying, cool, thanks. I've received your message. You don't want me here. Behavior that suggests that person's wanting to go and look elsewhere and things coming around full circle uh, saying, okay, you're right. Let's get you taken care of. So don't know what the number is. Just heard that whatever it is, it's a, a pretty decent bump knowing that there aren't many IndyCar drivers you could say are better than Pato, I can only hope that whatever his new annual salary is would reflect that in comparison to other drivers in his talent and delivery range. Uh, why don't we go to Robbie Berggren? Do we? Yes, we're going to close out the, uh, the Pato opening to the show. You say Marshall's. Uh, been three and a bit seasons since Pato and Colton entered IndyCar and raced against each other. Colton has more wins, but Pato has more points over 2020 and 2021. Who do you think has done the best job so far? And assuming they both stay in IndyCar, who do you think wins more championships? Interesting one. The if they both stay part, that's the place I'll pick up with Robbie. Um... I haven't heard of anything with Pato in terms of Formula One uh, in the new contract, but again, who knows? I uh, would say that if Michael Andretti's bid for Andretti Global is accepted uh, by the FIA slash F1, I do indeed believe Colton will be gone and doing that. So it's a great question, so it does make it a little bit hard to answer, but if we just assume both stay... <sighs> Yeah, that's all. It's obviously, it's a hard one to answer because it's not just straightforward. If they're both driving for the same team, it would be. Uh, Andretti and Air McLaren SP, ooh. Uh, right now, we'd probably have to say that Air McLaren SP looks like they are on a bit of a, a groove going here. Um, the Air McLaren SP team as well, I think, with the aforementioned issues ironed out with Pato, I think they're now in a place to be more effective. Uh, Pato just full of clarity and full of attack. Andretti team, I'm not totally sure. Colton's also thrown a bit of a wild card into things, Robbie. That is surprising. Um, we saw the crash at Nashville last year. It was a surprise. He does not have a reputation as someone who crashes and makes big mistakes. Again, 
thinking back to Nashville, it was a big oops, but it was at the time an isolated thing. Move to this new season and from four races, granted his team has made some errors as well, but from four races, two of those races include 100% unforced errors by Colton. So that's tickling some concern, right? How many times has Pato crashed while with Aero McLaren SP? Not many. That's not a, a big part of his driving history in IndyCar. I'm not saying he hasn't walled the thing. I'm just saying that Pato's not really known as big throw it away type errors. Colton's mistake on Sunday at Barber didn't throw the race away. Uh, just threw away a, a slightly better finish inside the top 10. But there is this weird thing that has bubbled up this season. And it has me feeling like the answer should tip towards Pato. All this stuff is based on recent data, right? If you had asked this question at Long Beach last year to end the season, I would have said Colton, end of just period. Uh, you asked us at St. Pete this year, um, even Texas would have said Colton. Things have been moving a little bit since Long Beach, where, and I love him, he's my co-host of the Hamburger and Taco Show. This is a serious question, though, of, huh, where's this coming from? We haven't really seen this before from Colton. And so I appreciate Jim Kaiser, who puts together the questions for me, because it's this one is, is close and links back to uh, the, the question here, opened up by Caleb of Pato's mentals. Where are they at? How do you get through that stuff? Were they real? Was it real? Is he all okay now? Which he appears to be. There's some, who knows, stresses Colton is feeling, uh, whether it's any possible distraction from how his future might be held in a uh, different continent and in a different racing series, or is that not at all a thing? Is he feeling the pressure to deliver big for his team in a way like he hasn't before, right? Kid has, what is it, six wins, all of them basically dominant, right? When he's on fire, no one can stop him. Is he feeling a pressure now to say, okay, I really do need to make up for mistake that wasn't mine at St. Pete, refueling issue by the team, Need to make up for this again. Pit stop issues at Texas. I'm in a hole. Now I really do need to dig deep and compensate for that. And I'm pushing harder than I should. Not just letting it flow easily, but trying a little too hard or a little bit distracted. Long Beach, again, he said that was a just a distraction thing. Got offline a little bit. Um, hit the wall. There you go. The attempted pass on... Uh, Scott McLaughlin really seemed like that was overly ambitious. Uh, in our end of day video on Sunday, he said, no, I, I passed people from farther away from that. I just don't know if those were top five, top six people. Uh, and I can tell you that it, at least from the outside, looked like it was farther back than was probably going to happen. And it didn't happen, but we haven't really seen that side of Colton. So I'm just wondering, like I spoke about 
Pato having to work through some of the some of the mentals on his own. I'm wondering if Colton is needing to do some of that now because we've seen this little hair trigger thing pop up that hasn't been his story. So that leads me today, <laughs> leaving Barber, and I'm just throwing in the very real caveats, leaving Barber, that would have me say, you know, on the current trajectory, Pato looks like he might be in a position to uh, uh, win more championships, get more wins. I know he's only got half the number of wins as Colton, but nonetheless, he's looking kind of sort of locked in in a way that Colton has before but isn't at the moment. As for best job overall, that's that's one I'm, I'm going to pass on because I don't think naming either driver would be fair to the other. Uh, this season, Aero McLaren SP has been a little bit off to start, but they have found some rapid momentum here. Last season, they were pretty sharp but there are also some events where they were pretty off and there's been a lot of learning with bringing new people on board and trying to grow the team and right this has not been a juggernaut that is fully formed fully experienced and just ready to go round round by round driver against driver and you know that they're both competing equally uh colton on the other hand i would say his team has been fully formed for a while, and it's been a pretty amazing thing for him to be able to work from and have that. So if we're talking about who's done the best job, I don't think they've had the, the, the same resources across the two to really say, oh, this one. We know that by win tally and podiums and some of these other things, we can say, yeah, it should tip towards Colton but I don't think Pato has had equal opportunity uh, within his team to really say, okay, uh, that's matchy-matchy, and now we can make an honest assessment. Uh, let's go to our dear pal, Cassie Johnston. She says, all right, I'll bite MP. I've heard every take from every Tom, Dick, and Carrie on the internet. So what do you say about the Ray Hall and Groshan drama? MP, spill the tea. All right, going to do that right now. Before, uh, but before that, I'm going to take another sip of Bean Flicker. So, I think this one is very cut and dry. The first hit from Romain Groschon's right front wheel and tire into the left side pod area of graham ray hall's car in the turn five hairpin absolutely nothing it's a nothing burger nothing to talk about if that's all that it was we're not having this discussion if you've watched indycar open wheel sports cars anything at barber for more than one year you will have seen this exact thing happen in this corner it happens more often than not on corner entry. Someone pops out late, uh, dives down the inside, and it's exactly what we saw with Colton and Scott McLaughlin. Usually the Colton in that situation ends up spinning or having some sort of issue, but that's 
the majority of the manner in which this contact happens at turn five corner entry duck out the last minute person either didn't see you or wanted to close the door boom a little bit of contract contact off we go seen it a hundred times but that's not where it stopped so if that's all it had been whatever who cares graham wouldn't have liked it of course no driver likes getting hit by another driver but it's truly nothing to talk about it's the second and bizarre seemingly retaliatory hit like okay uh graham didn't hit you the first time but i guess you got mad or something and turned right and hit him a second time and then the part that where this just creates frustration within myself and some drivers and whomever else cassie is this aspect of roman's personality what did he say over the radio he hit me (laughs) right no no because see like they have cameras and they turn them on and they record this stuff so we could see things with our own eyes and while many of us have different or have ideological differences uh faith differences political difference i think this is one reality we can all agree upon he didn't hit you dude the first time or the second time now again you're not a terrible person for hitting him the first time you're not even a terrible person for hitting him the second time where i think things spin off the rail a little bit and the blood starts to bubble up is the refusal to own now i don't know how to phrase this other than just to tell you what it is um Roma, born in switzerland raised in france referred to as a swiss-born frenchman my dear and beloved french fry sebastian borday um some other french friends that i have uh like us here in america we can be pretty darn hardcore at not taking the blame and even just speaking with romaz race engineer good pal frenchman as well olivier boisson who celebrated a birthday last weekend uh on the topic of man i know he doesn't there are times where Romad doesn't make friends because he refuses to just say my bad. Um, instead, ref- it just insists on going the opposite direction. We had this conversation a month or two ago, well before bar- the barber clash. Olivier being funny said, yeah, I know he's French. And I'm like, well, coming from a Frenchman, I guess y'all know your reputation sometimes. Um, really simple the second hit obviously that's the unnecessary part that's the dumb part if he had either said over the radio because keep in mind pretty much everybody monitors each other's radios uh it'll get back to you pretty quick it could just be somebody watching the broadcast within the ray hall team uh and saying this guy just said graham's at fault for that again all this information can circle back to people pretty quickly It's just those kinds of things 
Cassie. And Romaz, not the first driver to not own it. Uh, last year we had Renus, right? And what happened at Gateway. Totally his fault. Didn't want to admit it. Saying they had evidence and other stuff. And you go, look, it's okay. Just, just, right? Just raise your hand. Oops, my bad. Or, hey, you know what? You pissed me off, Graham. Uh, I feel like you did something wrong to me the first time. And so I wanted to let you know it by hitting you, coming out of the corner. And damn you, don't play it off, though. Don't don't try and spin reality on folks. So I think, Cassie, that's where uh, the frustration comes from. And then seeing after the race some of the kind of, oh, hey, but, you know, rubbing's racing. And, you know, hey, it's, boy, it's great racing and wheel to wheel and gosh and golly and trying to blow it off he already has a bit of a reputation of, of driving beyond the accepted standard on road and street courses, street courses more often than not, but there's just a little bit of a reputation that's been growing for a while of, Hey, you're coming from a different form of racing and it can take a little bit of time to adjust your level of aggression and, how much you knock each other around year two though race four race one race like so what graham did was uncork something where there have been i don't want to say half the drivers uh i don't want to say all the drivers but there have been a number of drivers uh who have expressed their frustration with roma driving to a harder level uh while fighting with others than seems to be the accepted norman indycar little quick caveat here uh, and then we'll move on the thing that i just that stands out as a little strange is you cannot do that in formula one <laughs> you cannot make contact with each other in formula one or whatever it is that you made contact with is going to break off and fly away. Uh, whether it's front wing elements, whether it is wheel suspension, granted, a lot of these things are tethered now, but still the cars are so light and things are meant to basically break and dissipate. You can't do any of that in formula one without ending your race on the spot. So the thing about learning the level of competition and how to kind of drive within what the standard is in this new form of racing, it's just a little weird, Cassie, because it's not like he could do that and did that in F1 for years and years and years, feeding someone a wheel, feeding, you know, using your front wing end plate to nudge someone and any of that contact would end his day. Granted, um, you know, he, he definitely did not finish a number of races in formula one, but this just is not a standard that he was accustomed to in formula one. So it is something that he has adapted on his own in IndyCar. Oh, Hey, I can be a little rougher contact. Doesn't end your day. That's a potential tool to use. It's smart of him to recognize that, but using that in a way that, is going to negatively 
affect other drivers on a somewhat frequent basis. I think that's just where he's gone over the edge a little bit for some drivers. Not every driver out there has battled wheel to wheel with him. So of course you're not going to have consensus by any means. But when you have someone like Graham, who is one of the veterans of the series, what is he now? 15 plus year veteran. I forget how many years, but it's ridiculous. Um, little older, married child, got another baby on the way. He's a grown man who's stepping up and saying what he feels and believes as a veteran voice of the drivers. And even if he says no one else has had any issue with this guy, but I do, it would still be as valid because he does speak for the drivers because of his age, because of his tenure. So if this were a Scott Dixon that was driven into and hit a second time, would he have reacted differently? I bet you he would. Um, I don't know if Scott Dixon goes into as much detail or gets as personal in his responses on television or radio. The uh, He's worn out his welcome comment in particular. That's That's a hell of a line, right? That is a hell of a line to roll out on somebody. Uh, I understand that Romain went and found Graham afterwards. Um, I'll leave it at that because what was shared with me about that was not uh, on the record or for print or for sharing, so I'll leave it there. But I do know that he went and found Graham afterwards, and I am aware that they did interact. Um, I just don't want to see this escalate. And this is where IndyCar, and I know that we're staying on this for a little while, but this is, believe it or not, two stupid hits uh, into one driver's side pod at one corner on one lap of a motor race could actually have some bigger ramifications if it's not dealt with. As many of y'all have said and shared on social media, as Graham mentioned in his responses, if this is now sanctioned since IndyCar took no action, again, not about the first hit, no issue at all. Uh, But for the second one, um, since IndyCar chose to take no action for reasons I don't know, because I haven't had a chance to to ask. This has apparently given the impression that, well, hey, if I go flying by a a highway patrol officer at 150 miles an hour, and they see me, and I see their head swivel as I go by, and they don't turn on their sirens and come after me, it's going to seemingly give me the green light to blow by that officer again at 150 miles an hour. If you're not going to penalize me for doing something that most people with eyes would come to understand was wrong, then this apparently isn't wrong for me to do. So what I'm curious to find out here, Cassie, to close on this, what I'm curious to find out is if and how IndyCar will intervene post-race since there was no action during the race or immediately after pay a monetary fine 
uh, points. And I think those would be really extreme, to be honest. I'm just saying. I'm trying to think of, like, post-race things you would do. Um, a time penalty. A who knows what. But, like, hey, this is not a, quote, Romain Groschamp thing that we are penalizing, although he will receive the penalty for it. We are sending a clear message. Don't any of y'all think that you can start doing this to one another now? It was the lack of action on IndyCar's behalf, Cassie. That's, to me, the greater issue here. Driver A barking at driver B. We're going to get that once, twice, however many times a year, every year. The, the names may change, but that's not the dynamic won't. That's part of the game. It has been forever. Got it. So we can put away the Graham and Roma part of this. The, the lingering aspect is IndyCar. Hey, y'all swallowed the whistle. And I don't know if you saw it in the moment, uh, but I can tell you that as Graham's comments afterwards of like, hey, if you see me deliver some payback, you better not penalize me because you sure as heck didn't penalize him. That's the thing that should scare the hell out of IndyCar and maybe make them rethink things in the moment as a race is taking place of like, ah, this here could explode if we let it. So, yeah. Um, maybe the, the, the silly thing to close on here, Cassie, is I appreciate Graham for saying what he said, knowing that he was going to get absolutely murdered for it because he knows he's not the most popular IndyCar driver. He also knows Romain is the most popular IndyCar driver and doesn't just have an army of North American fans, but international fans. So he knew ahead of time, I'm getting, I'm choking up. I'm getting verklempt. Thank you, Bean Flicker. He knew ahead of time that opening his mouth and going as hard as he did was going to bring flamethrowers onto him through social media primarily. I appreciate Graham for being his own person and saying, you know what, whether y'all agree with me or disagree with me, being my authentic self, that is what is important. So this is what I'm going to do, and I'll deal with whatever, quote, social media ramifications afterwards. All right, next we're going to go to our pal, Mitsuki Matsura. Matsura-san, you say, Hi, Marshall-san. An unfortunate qualifying and impressive but not easy race for Colton. Still the hamburger and taco show. Continued on Saturday and Sunday. How did you convince him to do the show, considering it was called off when he had difficult qualifying or racing during the first couple of races? Uh, Wasn't as bad. Uh, He was really mad after Texas, so... Um, yeah, but I also think having gone through that, I think he, I tried to explain to him in as polite a way as possible that if you're going to commit to doing this, you got to fully commit. And I think he understood that leaving me high and dry wasn't necessarily fair. Um, and so again, he's young and you know, sometimes when you're young, Speaking from personal experience, you don't always see beyond your own world. So I think that just helped. Um, Plus, I think he really enjoys doing it. Um, We're still figuring out our groove a little bit. Uh, Making fun of Bourdais was one of my favorite things. So 
I think I need to uh, make a little more fun of him, although I'm not totally sure uh, what I'm going to pick on him with yet, but I will. But, yeah, I think he's just, uh, I think he's warming up a little bit there, getting into the groove a little bit. Um, And I appreciate your note here. Uh, Let's see, where do we go here? Uh, Changing of the guard. This question comes in from who? 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 Well, this comes in from our pal. Seeing the lizards. Says Marshall with the younger drivers doing so well in the first four races of the season. Veterans not doing as well. Uh, Will power notwithstanding. Will we look back in future years at 2022? Was it changing the guard season? Also, you say very kind things about uh, hoping my wife gets better and the cats and whatnot. Well, it's a we're in a little bit of a weird phase too, aren't we? In that Dixon forty plus, Power forty plus, etc. Uh, both top six in the championship right now. But until he had a not awesome race at Barber, what thirty year old, thirty one, thirty thirty one year old Joseph Newgarden was our championship leader. Winner of the last two rounds. Yeah, so. Do I think we're talking about some of the the, the youths, the youths, uh, starting to pack the front of the the finishing positions a little more often? Yes, but we do have some kind of in the middle-ish types. New Garden being one, uh, Rossi is what thirty-ish or so, and I know he hasn't had a great year yet, but I do expect him to uh, you know have better fortunes. Romain is what 34 I think maybe 35 so you know uh, definitely farther away from the youth um, but not quite there in the the lump of 40 year olds yet Pagano is what 37 I think and you know still super effective so there's there's a strong kind of mid-layer mid-veteran slightly more veteran group who I think they are I think that's the real test. Where are they going to fit in? I don't know how many more years Dixon has as a true front-running title contender. Just saying that because he's 41 or whatever whatever age he is. It's a natural evolution. Power as well, right? Another year or two, maybe we'll see exactly. Uh, Pagano still in there for sure. Uh, we'll see if Grosjean is, is championship contender worthy or not um pagino where can he be this year next year with meyer shank and such um i think the the aging out process for the dixons and the powers uh, the castro neves is as well i think that's just going to happen very naturally and no real effect caused by the youth scott dixon will drive that number nine car for as long as he wants uh, Chip is not looking to replace him ever. Um, power, you know, he has one more year in his contract after this season. If he keeps performing like he is this year, I would be surprised if they added another year to that. But yeah, road coming to an end at some point in time here in the next year, two, three, for some of the the oldest drivers for sure. The ones that I'm curious though, again, talking changing the guard. Where this dynamic to me is so fascinating is 
yes, all these punks, <laughs> these 25 and under guys, uh, McLaughlin, the little story I wrote today, I lumped in as well. And he's whatever it is, 28, 29, but still he's you know, new to IndyCar. So I'll put him in with all the, the true youths uh, in terms of physical age. Normally, when you have the oldest guard age out, it usually then moves to the next group of veterans beneath them. So Joseph, again, 10-ish years or so younger than the Powers and Dixons. Same with Rossi, um, et cetera, et cetera. Usually, they kind of move into their golden years of still being front runners, still being race winners, championship contenders, win some more titles, win some more Indy 500s, and then the punks uh, kind of step up in their mid-20s, late-20s, and start to fill that role. What I'm curious to see here, I don't know if it's this year or next, is will the youth just leapfrog the majority of those mid-tier veterans? Newgarden, nothing's going to change with that guy. That guy is going to be a title contender until he retires. That's how good he is. Can't say that about some of the others because they haven't proven it yet. But will, in lieu of the three, four, five, whatever it is, uh, kind of mid-tier or mid-career veterans, will they step in and become the, the badasses that keep taking all the spoils? Or will these punks do it? And that, I think, would then be something that we've more or less never seen. Of, hey, wait a minute. Uh, it ain't your turn, but you're not asking or waiting. You're just taking. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, rookies, sophomores, juniors, whatever they might be in IndyCar, they've never been better. We've never seen better a better young group of badasses than what we have right now. They are so highly trained simulator work and physical improvements that they go through. I mean, they've just put themselves into a place where they're so prepared for success that it's ridiculous all without the advantage of tons of track testing. That's another amazing thing. They're doing this without the high mileage that rookies once got, you know, logging thousands of miles in preseason testing to come into their rookie seasons uh really ready to go uh let's go to ryan terpstra wanting to talk about will powers outlook you say he's finished fourth or better at every race seems like one of those weekends that uh, would have been a bad finish uh, with the will power that dario franchiti beat to the title somehow though he's fourth in the championship will power be the champion I don't think so because there's one person doing a better job of that right now. And it's Alex Pelot, who is our current championship leader who has one, his worst finish is a seventh and the other three finishes have all been on the podium. So yes, Will is having an amazing start to the year. I need to ring my boy here and do a little story about that, but Unless a St. Petersburg-esque advantage between the Penske and Ganassi and rest of the field cars jumps out again, 
something where you go, oh my goodness, the Penske's are just playing among themselves. Chevy has brought a freaking amazing, amazing package that Honda can't match. Unless we see that emerge and that tips uh, Will into uh, something amazing going forward, just saying that at the moment, uh, with this Chip Ganassi team, that maybe except for a brief moment or a brief period when Alex was leading in the middle section of the Long Beach race, I have not seen a single Chip Ganassi racing car look like it was capable of beating uh, whomever, you know, anybody who's ended up winning this year. Podium, yes, but actual, I'm going to drive past you and win the motor race because I am faster. Haven't seen that from Alex, Scott, Marcus, or Jimmy. So I mentioned that, Ryan, just because noting that the Ganassis have held a speed advantage over the Ganassi cars pretty much every race. The fact that Alex has still outperformed Will and had better and better finishes, even though he does have that one bad finish of seventh, a uh, pair of seconds and a third. Wow. That, I'm just saying that kid, that kid. Wow. Um, Matt Philpot says, did I happen to see the new electronic flag boards installed around the track? If so, were they used? Indeed they were. A little bit of testing done during Indy Lights sessions, but that was it from what IndyCar tells me. So among the many phone calls you need to make to folks, one of them is to IndyCar to say, hey, tell me a little bit more about how it went. And are we indeed going to do a full rollout for the GMR Grand Prix here in a week and a half or so? Uh, we're getting down to uh, end-ish of the show here. And yeah, I better hurry up because we're getting close to that one-hour uh, limit-ish that I try and set for myself. Uh, Jamie Carr. Say, any idea about the apparent disparity in performance between Renus and Connor at ECR? Says, I know it's only four races so far, but if my math is correct, Renus's average finish is eighth, while Connor's is... Uh, 17.5 with a qualifying average of seven for Enos and 18.75 for Connor. Am I reading too much into this with only four races to date? Um, Stop there for a sec. Wondering the same thing. Uh, Need to call Connor and and ask. It's happening, man. Because granted, there have been some extenuating circumstances for sure. Had some issues on his car this year, but... Not all the time. And yeah, what you're looking at, Jamie, what you're looking for is the same thing I'm looking for at all times among multi-car teams, in particular two-car team. Uh, Hi, if one's doing well, the other should be doing somewhat well. And if they aren't, why? What's going on? And I don't know all the reasons, but there does appear to be a vast difference Uh, in particular in qualifying and race day capabilities. I don't say capabilities like Connor is less capable. I have seen that kid do amazing things in an IndyCar. So I know that he's capable of running right there with whomever his teammate happens to be. He's also proven that on occasion at ECR. So again, we've seen that. Is there something that isn't clicking? 
between himself and whomever? Uh, are his setup needs a little bit different from Renus, for example? And for whatever reason, we have a split directions on setup and they're finding more success with one direction than the other. I don't know, but I do need to find out. And I do appreciate the fact that you are a spot in the same thing. Uh, you close here saying also with the plan for ECR and Beth Peretta, if the issues are due to ECR running two cars, how can ECR, um, help by running a third? Um, yeah, there's no issues running two cars full time, uh, whatsoever because they've done that, uh, for many years, they've just had two drivers occupying the second car, them running a third car full time will be no issue. Uh, all provided that they have high caliber people working on that car and engineering that car. Uh, and I'm confident that Beth and Ed and Tim Broyles, the uh, general manager of the team, that they will find everything they need to make sure that it is a quality, quality effort. So if you think about three car teams, four car teams, it's rare when you have all of them uh, operating at the same level. We think about what happened on Sunday with the Air McLaren SP team. Pato, a rocket. Felix, not race-winning rocket, but top six. And then they went in some bizarre fuel-saving direction. And he gets passed by everybody because he's having to make an insane fuel number that just involves not using the throttle. (laughs) And you go, well, on the surface, uh, Felix was a tragedy on Sunday, while Pato was winner and, and amazing. And you go... Okay, by the numbers, pretty similar to the ECR situation, except this wasn't Felix having setup issues or otherwise. He was on a strategy given to him that uh, just took him totally out of contention. I don't see how you blame him for that, but by the numbers, you go, dude, you were nowhere and your teammate was everywhere. So again, uh, there's always some sort of little granular aspect to this stuff. Uh, Ethan Patrick said, Marshall, when does IndyCar invoke the Milkaduno rule for Tatiana Calderon? Uh, she was clearly off the pace by a wide margin. Interesting you mentioned that, Ethan, because I was paying attention to that this weekend, specifically what that number was. Uh, caught up with and, and interviewed Tati before Friday's practice session. I totally failed and somehow managed to not record our conversation. Uh, I thought I hit the record button um when indeed i didn't and then when i we finished the interview and i thought i was hitting the stop button no i was actually hitting the record button uh which helped me figure out why when it was time to transcribe it it was just a lot of background noise and no actual conversation um she started off the weekend again uh rookie not a lot of mileage, you name it, having everything to learn in this car. She started off the weekend 4.2 seconds off uh, when she got going in free practice one. So after eight laps, uh, she was, I believe, 4.2 seconds off whomever was atop uh, the chart at that time. By the end of the session, I believe the number, shoot, I'm actually, I think I'm forgetting a little bit. Was it 2.8, 2.5, 3.1, something like that? Whatever it was, although nobody turned more than, I think, 17, 18, 20 laps or so, um, she knocked a second plus, maybe a second and a half. That's a number that comes to mind. 
off of her lap time. So again, just going off of fuzzy memory from however many days ago uh, among a busy weekend, I think she was again, maybe 2.7 seconds off at the end of the first session. I seem to recall watching her, uh, I think in qualifying, I think she had it down to 1.8 or so. Um, again, I might be off by a little bit, so I apologize. And I think in the race was not too dissimilar for a little while, but race didn't go super well and lapped and then having to make way. And it's really hard to be super competitive when you're a rookie and not feeling like you fully know the limits of the car and you're having to regularly lift off the throttle uh, break early, whatever it might be, to let the faster uh, and more competitive drivers go is not to interfere in their race. So none of that's meant to sound like an excuse. It's just meant to describe what she's going through. As I wrote at the beginning of the season, leading into the beginning of the season, I should say, disregard everything about her year because she is going to be learning so much during the events and having to figure out so many things during practice qualifying in the race that it would be unfair to judge her on her talent based on what she does this season. Assuming she gets a second year, I would expect her to be within a second of the leaders. Do I think she has the ability to vie for fast 12s and fast 6s on road and street courses? No, I don't. We haven't seen that demonstrated by her in other formulas. She's bounced around from a million different formulas. So while she's picked up a lot of knowledge and how to adapt, you don't spend that long in those cars or in whichever series you're bouncing around in. You might learn how to adapt to constantly changing circumstances, Ethan. You don't learn how to extract 100% of those cars because you're not there long enough to do that and feel comfortable doing that. So this year is a super deep end year where I hold no expectations for her. And so if she's getting in the way and becoming a nuisance, say, yeah, that's something where IndyCar might need to intervene and say, hey, we know you're having to learn a ton and you have no testing mileage effectively and all these tracks are basically new to you, but might have to think about whether you need to take some time away and I don't know what it is, but I don't think we're at that stage though. Cause I haven't heard that from the, from drivers yet saying, Oh my gosh, she is a nuisance. So I try to appreciate the fact of how big of the, the wall is she needs to scale to do what she's doing. And it's more than any other driver by a massive amount and almost an unfair amount. She's chosen to do this, right? This isn't like someone's forcing her to do it, but she has accepted a challenge that is so much harder than anyone else. Uh, I'm not, not trying to rush into judge yet. Let me take another sip here. How many questions do we have to go? Uh, All right. Uh, why don't we go to Ricky Zagata Marshall with Porsche and Audi reportedly getting spots in the F1 grid. How does this affect the Andretti Autosport uh, effort in their, quote, planned entry? It's a great question. Um, to my knowledge, 
they those two Volkswagen brands have no intent to start their own teams. As I understand it, they plan on partnering with existing. And if they're coming in as engine suppliers and technology partners and who knows what other levels of involvement they would have, they're partnering with a Red Bull or a McLaren or a Williams, should have zero. Uh, If either of them look to take ownership of a team wholly and make it their own um, or say we want to enter, uh, come in as a brand new entrant, those are the only lanes where I would think Andretti might raise their hand or Michael Andretti might raise his hand. Um, but thanks for asking this because I should think of these things, but I'm going to ring Michael tomorrow. Uh, ask Audi plus Porsche F1 influence on plans. Thanks, Ricky. Uh, Provided he answers, and provided it's a answer that is interesting, uh, I appreciate you for that story. Um, Cody Oakwood, thank you for the kind things about the cats. And my wife said, hope to bump into me in Iowa if I attend. I hope I can. Says, I think something amazing happened in USF 2000 this weekend. You had Pernelli Jones' grandson, Jagger, and Miles Rowe both winning races. Says, it literally caters to the old school indie fans with whom the name Parnelli Jones still resonates. It should appeal to a new and future fan base that wants to see more diversity in IndyCar. Shouldn't IndyCar be splashing this all over their social media channels and their website? Because I can't think of another recent story that could appeal to such a wide range of the fan base, and uh, then also or current fan base and potential fan base. Is my excitement over this misplaced? Need to tell you up front, Cody, that I haven't seen what IndyCar may or may not have done since I started recording this. I will be really honest, other than seeing what my new pal Dontre does with their social media stuff. Um, I don't really look at their website because I don't have a real reason to. Um, so I can't tell you from, I'm just taking your suggestion here that they haven't done much. Uh, can't speak to it on my, on my own, but here's what I can tell you. Uh, prior to Penske Entertainment's purchase of everything, there was a serious concerted effort to treat the road to Indy as part of the IndyCar family. Since the purchase, since taking control of Indy Lights, my own hashtag me personally observation, which could be totally wrong, is there's been a pretty darn serious effort to blow up and promote indie lights and maybe less so with the rest of the road to indie, which is not owned by Penske entertainment, which is owned by Dan Anderson, Anderson promotions run by he and his awesome daughter, Michelle Kish. So if there has been less promotion of this, as you mentioned, amazing weekend appealing to all fan bases potentially, or if not, Every single person within the fan base loving, at least you could say, well, this half would love this and the other half might love that. That sure seems like something I'd be blown up like you wouldn't believe. So if it hasn't happened yet, maybe it will tomorrow. Maybe it will the day after. I don't know. can tell you, though, that yes, this should. (laughs) It absolutely should because the average IndyCar fan is a 54-year-old white male. It's 
not a bad thing. I'm not too many years away from being that exact demographic. But, hey, uh, just like replenishing most things in life, their expiration dates uh, on people, sadly. Uh, so, hey, it sure is good to try and make new fans. And so this seems like something that would only resonate in a positive way to make new fans or bring other fans closer to uh, the future. Um, but if that's not happening, again, uh, I know that there is a, well, this is our Road to Indie series, and this is what we look after, and that's yours. So, I don't know. Seems like a perfect opportunity, though, to co-opt and uh, jump in here. Um, what do we have? Two more questions to go. We do. Ryan Gambler. You say, MP, is the Force Indie concept the wrong way to go? Should the Race for Equality and Change fund proven teams instead of starting their own? It says, Miles Rose dominating now that he left the team, and Ernie Francis Jr. is really struggling. Is the inexperienced team hurting them? Well, if you look at the mission statement about Race for Equality and Change, it covers many areas. Uh, one of them being growing more diverse team, crew, mechanical, engineer, publicity base, you name it. So this is maybe not the big focus that uh, the average fan would look towards, right? Drivers tend to be the, the first place that we focus our eyes, but indeed what they're trying to do with Force Indy is meant to make sure that future crew members uh Every aspect of running a team is one where folks are coming into an environment where maybe they haven't so much been before and growing, learning, and becoming part of uh, an IndyCar ecosphere. So I don't think there's anything bad with this at all. I do see your point. Don't disagree with your point that, hey, is, is trying to do your own thing and being a little being a little bit or a lot inexperienced, is that in the best interest of whichever driver you're trying to groom? It isn't, and I'll, I'll leave this short instead of going super into depth, but last year in F2000, uh, they were receiving some technical support from a high-quality team, a race-winning team. Uh, this year as well in Indy Lights, they are indeed receiving, there's a technical alliance going on. It's not a public thing. I'm not going to make it public who it is, but uh, there's quality information that they've had to work with last year and this year. Whether it's all been used, can't say. It's up to them, but um, they're not doing this totally blind, having to figure out everything on their own from the outset. So uh, I would say hopefully... Things get a little bit better for Ernie, but as I mentioned for Tatiana, ah, this kid's learning at a crazy rate and filling in a ton of information that he doesn't have. So I think as I wrote or mentioned about Ernie too, I sure hope he gets a second year because if he's being judged as harshly as Miles was after one year, um, this is going to be another not happy outcome. Uh, Ernie needs at least two years uh, before we can say whether he has the stuff to be an IndyCar driver. Uh, we know he has the stuff to be a sports car driver, frontline sports car driver. IndyCar, yeah. Uh, let's talk at the end of 2023, assuming and hoping that he has a 2023. Uh, we're going to close here with our pal Jamie Rowe, and I appreciate all of you who for 
who are sticking around for a slightly uh, longer episode. Hey, we had some drama at Barber, so it warranted going a little bit extra here. Uh, Jamie says, hey, it's now May, and uh, my dress for the most of the month will be various camping areas at IMS, and I can't wait to get there. Wonder what you think the biggest surprise will be in May, like Renus winning the GP last year. In my prediction, Colton sits on pole and wins the Indy 500. Also, Graham punts Groshaw on the last lap to win the GP. <laughs> uh, you, you old stirrer of the pot, bro. What are the surprises going to be? I'll take a pass on the Indy GP, uh, Jamie, just because it's an event. I was there for the first one, and I've been there for most of them. It's a bit of a non-event. Uh, so I don't know. That one I'm not really too wound up about. Um, I would say, and tell me where to bet, because I don't know the stuff, so maybe uh, uh, our pal Jeremiah Morell or, or someone who knows a little bit about betting can tell me. You as well, Jamie. You're a man who profits off of uh, such things uh, when it comes to picking IndyCar race winners. I'm going to throw down with a Scott McLaughlin Indy 500 win. Um, I'll tell you the people who work with him tell me this guy has everything to win the Indy 500 right now. He's only done one of them, but yeah, uh, do not discount this guy who is shattering, continuing to shatter any preconceived notions of what his ceiling happens to be. Um, so yeah, uh, scotty mac the hashtag thirsty threes uh that's who i'm gonna put my money on because if this guy can blow us out of the water like he's done this year already let's just keep keep that going right he's not done uh saint pete wasn't the peak um pound i'm not gonna drink a shoey with him but yeah uh prepare yourselves mentally for the highly disgusting visuals of the first ever Indianapolis Motor Speedway Victory Lane Indy 500 shoey experience. Um, that's what I'm saying here. Y'all, thanks so much for uh, playing along, for joining in. Appreciate all of you who uh, went and found my Marshall Prout YouTube page and subscribed to that. Uh, we've had a couple hundred folks subscribe in the last week or two which really truly appreciate you and i've already posted a couple of the mp show me's from barber i got more to post there and i have a growing number in the bank some that are all done and i just need to push live and maybe seven <laughs> i think that i still have to uh produce and and actually output and render so yeah those are growing and I'm hoping I'll get all those wrangled and flowing one or two this week and a couple next week and then get to uh, the Indy Road Course race and get some more coming. But uh, I'm hoping to get caught up on those and produced, ready to go, and then posted so I can ask y'all to send in some more ideas. Uh, a lot of what I've been doing have been from previous suggestions. A lot of them have just been my ideas too, but... I do enjoy the hashtag MP show me's cause they're kind of fun. Plus they're about what two minutes or so in length. So pretty short and just trying to keep you fed with uh, fun and interesting stuff happening at the track or that catches my eye. 
All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Jack, the Bean Flicker Harvey's number one coffee blonde ale. Uh, I will speak to you here very soon. <laughs>